0: Before we hear from the Lord, let's ask His blessing once more on the preaching of His Word. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we confess to give before You this is Your Word, Lord. And it says in it that You give us light, and in Your light we see light. Lord, Your Word is truth. We pray sanctify us by that truth. As we sit before Your Word this morning, that you will do all that you have sent it forth to do. That you would work in the hearts of your people, and that you would draw all peoples to yourself, and that you would be magnified and magnify your son, and in doing so, magnify and glory, glorify your own name. We pray, Lord, that you be glorified even in this hour as we hear. Let uh, you speak to us through your word. May you be glorified in our certainty of being your sons and daughters, as we feel the presence of of your face upon us, and so, Lord, we ask all of these things through Christ our Lord. And All God's people said, "Amen." Uh, Amen. Psalm forty-six. Give your full attention. This is the word of our God. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam. Though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. So far the reading of God's Word. <clears throat> the grass withers and the flowers fall, but indeed the Word of the Lord endures forever. <clears throat> well, as I reflected on this song in preparation for today? I remember when I was young, uh, where I grew up, sitting or driving through or riding out many earthquakes as they are, uh, often come on the West Coast. And... People have different reactions to earthquakes when they come, when they stick through them. Uh, some people are totally freaked out by them. Others are kind of concerned. Uh, some are unfazed. That it's not even happened. Some of us enjoyed them, right, as long as uh, they weren't damaged by them. Uh, it was like a free ride, right, uh, sporadic, um, spontaneous free rides throughout our lives. Uh, and I learned when I was in high school there was one earthquake that was particularly memor- memorable uh, for the magnitude and havoc that it caused um, it was in 1989 in Northern California it was a 6.9 magnitude earthquake it wasn't the worst quake uh, in history but um, the most deaths so the most damaged many did die much damage was done but it was the buildings that collapsed especially bridges that collapsed during traffic that was memorable some cars just drove right off those bridges after they uh, fell apart And it was a shocking image to see over and over in the news and then couple that with this uh, phenomenon of the mudslides, I don't know if you've seen this on the west coast, uh, where entire sides of mountains will just fall into the sea, uh, with houses built upon them, they fall off and just slide right down the ocean. And these are just small pictures of the chaos and creation that Psalm 46 brings to mind. <clears throat> so just that beginning part of it. But more than that, there are many troubles that we experience in a fallen world full of fallen people. We face personal chaos and struggles. Right? Not only is stuff out there under the forces of God's nature, but personal, right? relational struggles, hardships, financial struggles and hardships, health issues that we end up going, end up going the wrong way we get a, a bad diagnosis. And along with this, we go through the storms of doubt and fears, inner lives where joy and hope are seemingly blown away, seemingly lost. It doesn't take long to reflect on the world in our own hearts, and we see this, our economy, political realities, the cultural perversion, the hunger for our children to destroy them, the politicians addiction to war, the ongoing attacks and persecutions against the church, not only in far off places, but even here in our own land. It's all capable of drowning us in fear and hopelessness and despair. And in it all, the far out there things and the close in here personal realities and in my heart and all of it what is the believer to do where is he or she to go in all the trauma where can you turn to the psalmist tells us as he looks backwards and he looks forward and he looks upward where we are to go and the psalm will instruct us psalm 46 that because of christ's victory for his people we have a sure refuge amidst every trial, amidst every trial, because of His victory. We, as His people, have a sure refuge in every trial we go through in life. And where is that refuge? Where will they find this peace? Well, it's in Christ alone, right? It's in Christ that we find peace in the collapse of creation, in the chaos of the nations, and in the Creator's intervention into these things. Right? That's how the psalm is structured. It has three strophs three sections. The opening lines give the main theme of the psalm. The Lord is present with his people, and his presence is our confident hope and our protection amidst everything that we face. And so again, as we look through it, it moves from the collapse of creation, and then the chaos of the nations, and then the creator's intervention. Right? So the first strophe, the first sections, is the piece that we can find in in the chaos or the, the collapse of the cosmos, really? So think about this for a minute and think of the like the most awful thing that you could think of happening in the world in your life. Right? What if you felt like your life was just falling apart? Some of us, this has happened to. Some of us we've thought through these things. Even maybe right now you're thinking these things in your life in the privacy of your own heart, but how do you respond to these things? Verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And then he goes on, therefore, we will not fear. We will not fear. And it goes on to describe the upheaval of creation, of the world. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Scripture describes sometimes the earth, uh, if we look through, we don't have time, but take a survey of, of resting upon, founded upon the seas. Psalm 24 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell in them. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Right? This is a new language for us if we're familiar with the scripture. <clears throat> we also read that even so it cannot be impacted to cause it to slip, or fall, or move, or slide. That's the word that we find all over this psalm. You see the words like totter, or stumble, or shake, or moved. It's the word, uh, in Hebrew the word is mot. It means all of these things. Psalms 96 and 104. You place the world on its foundation so it will never be moved. Mot. The world stands firm and cannot be shaken. Mot. Remember, too, behind all this discussion of water ordeal and water themes, we must remember what God's word tells us in that thread that we can pull through our scripture as well. Right? It says that the sea, water, which covered the earth before uh, the emergence of dry land, would never be allowed to do so again. Right? In Job, we read this: "Who kept the sea inside its boundaries, and, it's, and it burst from the womb? I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores. I said, this far and no farther will you come. Here, your proud waves must stop. And then Psalm 40, goes on to say, then you set a firm boundary for the sea so they would never cease, so they would never, again, cover the earth. Not to mention, right, think about this water theme, right, in creation, in the recreation after the flood, right, in the crossing of the Red Sea, the crossing of the Jordan. And there was related to water, the people of Israel, really the ancient Near East, regarding to water, the sense of dread and fear and terror, chaos waters. Our psalm this morning says, We will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains will be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. When I was here, there was an old saying, uh, it was a rebellious and lame saying, really, but uh, like the skaters of the time would use. I guess it's extend extent beyond culture, but it was that the phrase, no fear. Right? It's kind of rebellious. No fear. But outside of Christ, they have everything to fear. But the psalmist is saying what? We will not fear. Even if the world as we know it collapses in front of us and around us, we will not fear. And that's truly an incredible expression of faith. And the foundation of that faith is what? It's what he just said before. God is our refuge and strength. God is our refuge and our strength. A very present help in trouble. As we work through this wonderful passage, this wonderful psalm, reflect upon this, brothers and sisters. Is this the expression of your heart? We will not fear, though the world falls apart. Do you have that faith, founded on God's power and character, to say, I will not fear, even if all creation collapses around me? I pray that you do. But I'm pretty sure you don't. At least not all the time. I know I don't all the time. We must look to our God, our triune God. Flee to him and plead with him to increase our faith. We must avail ourselves of those things he's given us and promised through by which to strengthen our faith. Flee to Christ, uh, brothers and sisters. And praise him when he does just that, when he increases your faith. And you will find peace even in a collapsing creation, a cosmos in chaos. And then the second stroke that we come through, come to is the peace that we find. is peace in the chaos of the nations. Right? As he moves on to this next section, verses 4 to 7, it's not the waters in this section that are raging against God's people. It's the nations that rage. The nations rage. The kingdom's cotter. The nations are threatening to destroy Jerusalem. But even so, in the chaos of the raging nations, joy resounds, we read here, right? In the midst of the trial, in the face of adversity, we have an anchor, an immovable, immutable, unshakable anchor, and that anchor is what? It's our creator, our Lord, our triune God. So the psalmist here in Psalm 46 points us where, to Zion, and he says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God the holy habitation of the Most High, the holy habitation of the Most High. It's not the city itself that it is, it is uh, the wonder and the glory, it's that God is there, that's his habitation. And in terms of the physical city of Jerusalem, and you can check this if you look at the last book of your Bible, uh, the mass section, right? You'll see that in Jerusalem, there is no river flowing through it. And so what this means is what? Since the psalmist doing, is he unaware of this? Is he ignorant of this fact? No, it means that the psalmist isn't pointing us to an earthly Jerusalem, but rather he's pointing us to a heavenly Jerusalem, to Mount Zion, to the city of God, God's holy habitation. And that's what he said in verse four. So as I said, as we look at this, we need to draw in what, what, what the psalmist is pointing us to. We want to have a retrospective view and a prospective view. We want to look backwards and look forward to what he's talking about. We see this in scripture, right? And even as we look at Scripture, we should do this. They're looking backwards and looking forward. This is what we see, even here in the psalm, what he's doing. Uh, The psalmist casts this glance backwards to what? Pointing us to Eden. Because in the Garden of Eden, there was a river that ran through it. and branched all through it. And there in Eden is what? It was the presence of God that made the Garden holy. It was his presence. And indeed, you can say, and we can defend this from places like Ezekiel and elsewhere, that... Eden, that was the first earthly temple, the meeting place of God with man. God dwelt in the midst of his people. He dwelt there with Adam and Eve. But this is not only the psalmist looking backwards, but also pointing forward. Right? So we look back to Eden to recall the river that ran through it. But then we turn to look forward to a city whose builder and maker is God. As he points to Zion as the place where we can find our rock-solid source of hope. Not because of the place Zion. We don't just go back to Eden, but rather through Eden to Zion, which is nothing less than what, ultimately, the archetype is the new heavens and the new earth. The dwelling place of God with man. And notice also here, as we look at this, this contrasting imagery that we see in verses 2 and verses 4. Right? Again, the water. It, points this, it paints for this picture of these contrasting images. Right, again, listen to verse 2. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth is way, the mountains move into the sea, though its waters roar and foam. Like, notice again the sea, the chaos waters, the tumultuous sea roaring and raging. And then contrast that with what we see in verse 4, with this peaceful, life-giving river, whose streams make glad the city of God. And here's this contrasting imagery where you have this massive tumultuous violent ocean swallowing the earth. In that the psalmist does what? He points us to that peaceful, life-giving river that flows through the city of God. In the first image, you would flee from the water in terror. It's life-threatening. In the second, you flee to it. To receive it, it's life-giving. And so from the inside of those city gates, God's people look upon a crumbling and raging world And maintain a glorious and secure peace because of whose they are and where they are with Him. And here they go to this river that provides life, that has sustenance, that is peaceful. And yet, in verse 6, notice outside the gates, right? Outside. In verse 6, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter, moat, they shake. They slip, they fall. And history tells us indeed of the rise and fall and warring of states and empires, the establishment and then the fall of kingdoms. And it's indeed only the kingdom of heaven that will not fail. The throne of God remains because there the river runs peacefully through it and brings life and sustains life. And it gives life because it flows from the very throne of God. So within her gates, the inhabitants of Zion find peace, when we find shelter, the shelter of God himself. And this joy throws, uh, flows throughout the city like a river, just like the river in Eden supplied all that was needed. Uh, if you read Genesis 2 or Genesis 47, and there is joy because the city is secure It's it, it, in spite of the threats around. And the city is ultimately secure. Why? Because God is present. God with his people, dwelling The divine presence is the ultimate fortress. God Himself with His people. And that's everything. That's everything. For with Him there is hope and comfort and what? Peace. Peace. True peace. And that's found nowhere else. And then we see what? We see the nations raging and the, the, the cosmos collapsing. Then we see that we can have peace because of God's intervention in these things. Right? That's the third stroke of this section, if you will, in verses 8 to 11. Divine intervention into the chaos of life, which you've seen already in the start of the psalm. And we see it again in the second part. And now here it becomes explicit the focus of the psalm. We are invited to what? You see there. Come, behold the works of the Lord. Come, behold the works of the Lord. And the context is what that we're beholding? What's going on there? It's God's work of destruction, of destruction. And the destruction is the destruction of war and all the weaponry and the warring nations, the undoing of these warring nations. And that destruction is the establishment of what? Worldwide peace, final peace. Verses eight, verse 8 and 9, to Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and he shatters the spear and he burns the chariots with fire. That's a bad day for the raging, warring nations of the earth. And again, it's in this context that this verse comes that we all know and we've all seen, oftentimes out of context. What is the context? It's in this context, verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. And he goes on, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. He is ultimate. We are not. His honor, not ours, is our ultimate reason for being. He pledges that he himself will be honored by every nation throughout the world. And all of these realities and all of these truths and things and wonders are found ultimately and most powerfully in Jesus Christ our Lord. And what does Paul tell us? What an awesome thing. Jesus himself, Jesus, is our peace. The cosmos will burn. It will collapse. And those who belong to Jesus are safe in the gates of his perfection and protection. Even in the raging of the nations, God's shattering, crushing scepter of iron will fall upon those fist-wagging, God-hating nations, but it will not fall on his people because it already fell upon his beloved son in our place. No judgment remains, we read, the people of God. In that glorious presence of God, that His dwelling with His people, His protected, preserved people of peace, find its fullest expression in what? In His beloved Son. That Son who made His dwelling among us. The true temple, the tower knackler of His people. It is there in Christ where peace is found only in Him. The world doesn't have that peace to offer. It might offer temporary peace, a pseudo-peace. But it's not a real or lasting peace. For it will only rest and result in the greatest absence of peace ever known. And that's being in the presence of God without a mediator. Suffering under his just wrath. Jesus said, I give you peace. Peace I give you my peace. Not as the world gives you. And so let us praise our King and Lord. For he has won the victory and conquered all of his and our enemies. Sin and death have been defeated. Let us yearn and long for that which is most real, most true, that consummate life that awaits us as we behold God himself in the face of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine? We can't really comprehend it. But consider in the, the wonder of his love and the healing, refreshing, life-giving waters of that rhythm. Praise him, dear Christian. And here once more as we close, what awaits the children of God? Then the angel showed me the river of life, the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. Rejoice, dear Christian, rejoice, as you reflect upon his promise and his power, and his person. Praise and glorify Christ our Lord, with all of your lives, even until the end, unto glory. Amen. Let's pray. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for your promise, even amidst all the trials and struggles we go through in this life, the pains and strains that plague us, that we struggle with. Lord, help us to remember and believe the truth of these things that you tell us, that that time will come when every tear will be wiped away. We will indeed have peace, the peace that only comes from being clothed in the righteousness of Christ and dwelling forever in glory with Him. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.